We need to rethink what it means to be rich. You know, for many people, to be rich involves millions of dollars. It involves a certain income level. When we think about being rich, we, 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 we think about something on a pretty significant scale. But actually, when you evaluate where we are in the world today, what you discover is that many of us are more rich than most people could imagine. For example, the average annual worldwide salary is $18,000. If you take the average annual income across the world today, it's about $18,000. If you look at the gross national income per capita, the gross national per capita income in the United States right now, it's $47,320. And so what you find in the United States is, is something that is radically different from what you see in the rest of the world. People with an income of $41,000 per year are in the top 3% of the richest people in the world today. And so if you make $41,000 a year or more, you are among the most wealthy people in the world today. You're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world today because most people live on an income of around $18,000, that's, that's the average. And we know that three billion people in the world today live on about $2 per day or less, which is pretty, pretty astonishing. And so, and, so, and so here's the thing, we are among the most wealthy people in the world today and among the most wealthy people who have ever lived on the face of the earth, but, but we are blessed. But it's hard to feel rich in our society because we are bombarded with influences that tell us we need more. Our society is always driving us toward what we don't have instead of appreciating and giving thanks for what we do have. And it's a pretty incredible aspect of our society that we could have so much, but yet so often feel like we have so little or that we need so much more. And all of this has tremendous implications for our value system, what we value, how we, how, how we evaluate where we are, so whether or not we truly have an abundant life. And, and, and so we need to rethink what it means to be rich because being rich is about a whole lot more than just money. But even when it comes to money, most of us are rich. Actually, we are abundantly rich. We are more rich than 97% of the rest of the world. And so, so we need to rethink this and we need to make sure that our value system is aligned with what is most important in life. You see, the way we spend our money reveals ultimately what we value. If you just go through your past month's spending, here what you will find. You will find what you 
value. If you go through your last year's spending, you will discover, you will see a snapshot of what you value. And no doubt you value some good things and you're doing some good things. But if we could all just kind of pull back and evaluate the last month, the last three months, the last six months, the last 12 months, what we would discover is that so often we're running after things that are not of an eternal value. Probably what all of us in some form or fashion would discover is that, is, is that we've, we've fallen victim to this tidal wave of pressure that tells us we need more, we need what's next, we need what's new, and, and, we, and we fall into this trap of thinking that rich and being rich is about reaching a certain income, reaching a certain status, having a certain amount, being viewed a certain way, and, and Jesus actually addresses that type of a value system head on. Because here's what happens in Luke's gospel. Luke records this for us. It's pretty phenomenal. Jesus is actually teaching, right? Doing some like phenomenal strategic teaching in, in Luke 12. And then like this is so random, out of the blue. Okay, here's what we're going to see. Some, some random guy calls out to him. All right? So, so Jesus is in this crowd. I mean, it's a massive crowd. Actually, if you go back and look at the context, you'll find people are literally stepping over each other to try to lean into Jesus. And in the midst of like all of these people, hundreds of people, probably well over a thousand people, I mean, Jesus is in a massive crowd. And one random guy calls out. He says this, teacher or rabbi, please tell my brother to divide our fathers to stay with me. Now, let me just pause here and say, that is totally random. <laughs> Jesus is teaching. He's teaching on life and death matters, okay? Jesus is teaching in this massive crowd of people. And one random dude is like, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my money. <laughs> like, really, dude? Like, that's what you're going with? And it's just so random. But in this day and time, it's a big deal. First of all, rabbis could weigh in on matters like this, matters that relate to an inheritance, okay? It's kind of a legal issue. It's a relational issue. And so this guy's appealing to Jesus to say, hey, could you kind of weigh in on this? The, the, the other factor here is that in the first century, in this Jewish culture, the firstborn son would typically receive two-thirds of the father's estate, and the youngest son would receive the remaining one-third. Do I have any oldest sons in the house today? Come on, let me see them. Yes, loud and proud. Listen, the firstborn sons are the best sons. We are the best looking sons. We are the smartest sons, okay? We are the most deserving sons. And so often our younger brothers ruin life for us. But back in Jesus's day, they didn't because the oldest got two thirds of the father's estate and the younger only got a third as it should. And so, and so something's gone awry with this guy and his brother, okay? And there's a disagreement and the brother's not giving him his share. And so literally Jesus is teaching, okay? We're thinking like Sermon on the Mount, right? And this guy, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my stuff. And it's just so random. And, and so, so Jesus replies, actually, and this is crazy. Jesus stops and of this one guy yelling at him, Jesus turns and he speaks to him. He says, friend, 
who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Like, this is so trivial. But then, check it out. Jesus turns to him and he says, but here's what I got to say to you. Beware and guard against every kind of greed or coveting, same word there, because life is not measured by how much you own. And as Jesus always does, he gets to the heart of the matter. And you know what Jesus reveals to us time and time again? That the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. This guy thought his biggest problem in life was his brother didn't give him his full share of the inheritance. He doesn't realize that the greatest problem in his life is a greed that's keeping him from God. And so Jesus doesn't just put a Band-Aid over the problem and give the guy some type of legal advice. Jesus says, man, if you think your life is about the abundance of your possessions, if you think you can live a fulfilled life by having the full share of this inheritance and being set for life, like you got it all wrong. Life is about way more than that. And Jesus calls out his greed. He calls out his coveting. And Jesus highlights for us that any problem that's addressed in our lives that doesn't address the heart is just a temporary fix. Do you know why David sinned with Bathsheba? Not because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, although that's a part of it. You know, ultimately, because he had a heart problem. He had a heart problem. You know why Jacob was such a dysfunctional father? Because he had a heart problem. You know why Ananias and Sapphira didn't make it to the end of Acts? <laughs> they, had they had a heart problem. And Jesus goes right to this guy's heart problem. He thinks his biggest problem is not having the full share of the inheritance. He thinks in his mind, if I can get this full share of the inheritance, I will be set for life. And Jesus is like, dude, you got it all wrong. You're yelling to me randomly in the crowd. Like this is such a big deal to you. You're literally interrupting my teaching and all these people to get this one issue addressed. This is how pressing it was for this man. He was just, he was clinging to this. He was convinced like this is his life right here. And if he can get this inheritance, he'll be set. And Jesus is like, dude, no. Beware. Your greed, your coveting is getting the best of you. You foolishly think that your life is measured by how much you own. This guy had a value system that was deeply broken. This guy treasured his stuff more than God. And, and that's what Jesus addresses here. And so he says, beware. Watch out for this, watch out for this greed, watch out for this type of coveting. Isn't it fascinating, by the way, if you go back to the foundation of Israel, like, like the, the very beginnings of the nation, God's building this foundation for how they'll live and how they'll function in the world. God gives them 10 words, right? 10 laws, the 10 commandments, right? And is it not amazing that one of those 10 foundational, moral and societal laws, one of the 10 speaks to coveting? I mean, think about this. If I were to ask you to write 10 laws that would govern our nation, 
Okay, let's just say we're redoing the whole thing, <laughs> okay, which may not be a bad idea. All right, but let's just say we're going to redoing the whole thing, right? And we said, all right, I need you to give us 10 laws that will govern the future of the United States. Would you put coveting in there? Because it doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal, except that when God gave us his moral law to govern the nation of Israel and to govern our interactions with him and others, he put it in there. You know why he put it in there? Because it is the drift of our heart to move away from fulfillment in him and to fulfillment in our stuff. And you know what God said? Don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's car. What is God saying to Israel? What's he saying to us? That this sin of greed, this sin of coveting, what does it do? It, it turns our value system away from God and toward the accumulation of things that we think will bring the abundant life but actually will not. What does this greed and coveting do? It leads us to wrong others to get what we want. And Jesus says, beware, beware. Life is not measured by how much you own. Okay, so then he tells him a story. Here's the parable. Then Jesus just goes, he goes deeper, right? He's like, hey, you want to call out in the crowd? Okay, here, here you go, big time. Here you go. <laughs> All right. So beware. And then let me tell you a story. Here's the parable. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. He had this huge bumper crop. Like he had this huge harvest. And he's like, I literally can't store all of this stuff. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and my other goods. And let me pause here and say, before you think this guy's Warren Buffett, this is, this is not Warren Buffett. This is me and you. This is a farmer who's had a couple of really good years. And you know where he would rank in Israel society? Middle, upper, middle class. So just in case you think Jesus isn't talking to us, I have no doubt about it. If Jesus could address us in person, he would use this parable. This is an upper middle class kind of dude, all right? And he's not Warren Buffett. He's, he's just a guy who's been blessed. He's a farmer and he's, he's, he's had a bumper crop. He's doing really well. And so he's like, man, I can't store it all. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build some bigger barns and then I'll have enough room to put all of my wheat and other goods in them. And then now here's the key and the problem. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. And now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In the Greek, the original language, actually this says, and now you will have the American dream. <laughs> Is that not the American dream? I will gather and accumulate enough to where maybe even in early retirement, I can kick it back and say, now it's time to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he valued more than anything else. To have enough so that he could be enough 
and be seen as enough to kick it back, eat, drink, and be merry. And you say, is there anything wrong with this? (laughs) And my answer to you is no. There is nothing wrong with that. If there is no God and no resurrection. There's nothing wrong with this guy's perspective if there's no God and no resurrection. In fact, this guy's living the right way if there's no God and no resurrection. In fact, he's living the way Paul said we should live, the Apostle Paul. He's living the way the Apostle Paul said we should live if there's no God and no resurrection. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul said, in other words, if there is no resurrection and there is no God and there is no hope and there is no eternity and there is no judgment, then let's just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Paul said the same thing this guy said. He said, I got to build bigger barns and accumulate more stuff so I can kick it back and just eat, drink, and be merry. My life will be complete. I will be fulfilled. I will live in abundance and therefore have an abundant life. But the problem is... He fails to realize that our lives are not ultimately measured by how much we have. But this guy encapsulates the American dream. Listen, is it not true that we live under this tidal wave of pressure that we're all easily caught up in that tells us if we can just have enough, if we can just get to that place where we can eat, drink, and be merry, if we can just have the newer or the next, if we can just have more, then, then, then we will have the abundant life. I mean, listen, y'all realize, right? Like we, we have TV shows on hoarders. Do I have any hoarders in the house today? Come on, this is a safe space. Bunch of lies. Okay, next week I'm preaching on lying. Okay, because I know I know some of y'all are lying. Okay, you know who doesn't have any television shows on hoarding? Haiti. I've been there eight times. There's no show on hoarders in Haiti. You know who doesn't have house hunters? <laughs> Uganda. And by the way, how crazy is that show? Y'all seen House Hunters? Who are these people? Ryan and Sarah just moved to Chicago for their first jobs out of college. She wants a flat on Michigan Avenue, but he's hoping for a house in the suburbs. These first-time homebuyers will have to agree on something within their budget of (laughs) $950,000. Who are these people? And how can I become one of them? Really? Like there, there, there's no house hunters in Ethiopia. <laughs> we are so blessed. Like, do you remember, do you remember when cell phones just came out? 
I mean, when I say cell phone, some of you are thinking, oh, no, no, no I'm fine. I mean, it was, like a, it, was, it was like a headset. Remember that thing? Like I could do bicep curls with my very first cell phone. Do some of you remember this? And I'll never forget having a cell phone. And I, my wife and I were early in our marriage and I'm like, I was, we were so poor. You guys, I mean like beyond poor. We were beyond poor of poor. Like we had no, we didn't have a television. We didn't go out to eat. I mean, we had nothing, but somebody in our marriage fell into the trap of this dude speaking to Jesus. And I was like, I mean, uh, the one of us was like, um, Jesus, tell my wife we need a cell phone. What if, what if we got to call somebody on the side of the road? Jesus, I need a cell phone. And we got a cell phone. Couldn't afford a cell phone. No, why I had a cell phone? I had nobody to call. I knew nobody but I had a cell phone, this big cell phone. Remember that, it was like a brick. And I'll never forget, I was so excited to have that cell phone. And I thought, well, I got it. Now I got to call somebody. I had nobody to call. I called my parents like a loser, right? <laughs> call them, hey, mom and dad, I'm talking to you on my cell phone. You know how much that cost me? $12,000. Remember those days? <laughs> Remember those days you're paying like by the minute, right? And then what happened? Then we got the flip phone. Remember the flip phones? Did y'all, could you pull them out with one hand and flip it open? Like if you could, you, that was cool. Like, you, like I didn't have to open it. Remember the people, oh, look at these losers. They have to, oh, no, right? Remember the flip phone and you got the flip phone, right? And then, and then remember, oh, and then, and then the Blackberry came out. Do y'all remember the black? Anybody remember the Blackberries? And you had to type on your little elvish thumbs. Remember, the, remember how small those keys were on the Blackberry? Who came up with that? Some elf in Santa's workshop. I'm like, what? And I'm typing on my Blackberry, and I was so cool to have it. And then the iPhone came out. Jesus! Tell my wife I need, Jesus, tell my wife I need the iPhone. And if I get the iPhone, I'll never ask for another phone ever again. You can play Angry Birds on your phone. Oh, and then it's like you think, oh, you're set, right? And then, no, you're not set because they give you a new iPhone every year. And then you can cycle your plan every two years. And then now they have them out with three camera lenses on them. Oh, I gotta have that. And isn't it crazy? Like, it's just... Like it's never enough, right? Okay, I wasn't gonna mention this, but I have to mention it. Listen, I have a good friend in the first service. I did not know this about him. He has an iPhone 7, you all. I'm like, I didn't even know those things were still around. It's a relic. It could probably sell on eBay for like $40,000. His wife said to me, yeah. Like, here, look, here's the phone. Like, he actually, the case finally wore out. I can't even find a case for it. <laughs> like, nobody's rolling with iPhones. If you're wearing an iPhone 7 around, you are a nerd, okay? Nobody's wearing an iPhone. Got this little, no, no, no. You got to get the one with the three cameras on it now, right? And my point is, we live under this tidal wave of new and next and better. And don't get me wrong, this stuff is cool, man. I am all about the latest iPhone. <laughs> it's way better than my first cell phone. It's way better than that BlackBerry. But it's not just the iPhone. 
It's, man, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's just, you're just inundated constantly with this. Your life is about the abundance of your stuff. Your life is about the abundance of your stuff. And, and listen, we are so blessed to live in a world where we get to have this stuff. But to live in a world where all of us would be this man, most of us at least, would be this man Jesus is talking about in the parable, brings with it some implicit dangers. Which is why Jesus said to the man who called out to him in the crowd, beware, beware. This man thinks if he can just have enough, build enough barns, store enough wheat, then he can eat, drink, and be merry. And that's what life is all about. And so here's God's response to him in verse 20. Check this out. You fool. You think this is what life is all about? This, you think this is what your life is all about? Like you think this is what, like you're gonna build enough barns to be able to kick back and just eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of your life, retire early, and then travel the world. And you, this, is, this is what you think the abundant life is like, that's what you're living. That's what the guy's living for. And that's what the guy who came to Jesus is living for. Not just the guy in the parable. The guy in the parable represents the heart of the guy who called out to Jesus in the crowd. Jesus saying, this is what you're living for? If you can just get your share of this inheritance, you can eat, drink, and be merry. You fool, because you will die this very night. And then who's going to get everything you work for? We're all headed toward an empty exit. The scripture says it's appointed for man to die and in the judgment. Now here's what's, here's what's so important. Listen, this word fool is not a statement concerning the man's intelligence. Listen, in the scriptures, this term fool is not like you're dumb or you're stupid, okay? This is not like you have a low IQ. This is a statement of moral and spiritual Perspective. The man is a fool. Maybe he's the smartest man in his town, but he's a fool because he is short-sighted and he thinks that his life is tied, his significance is tied to the abundance of his possessions. And he thinks now that he can kick back with these big barns and eat, drink, and be merry, that his life is going to have all of the fulfillment that he's hoping. And he, Jesus is saying, it's not, you fool, you're living for something that you can't take with you into eternity. Fool. You know what the scriptures say? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You may have a PhD and be one of the smartest people on the face of the earth. If you don't believe in God, you're a fool. You're short-sighted. You're missing what God has for you. And so here's what Jesus says. Here's kind of how he wraps it up, right? He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Literally, it says, be rich toward God. Man, what a statement. Jesus said, you're a fool if you think that you can store up all of these earthly possessions and all of this earthly wealth, but not be rich toward God. But that's the tidal wave of pressure that we're under. And so Jesus here is warning us that money is both hazardous and helpful. It is helpful. We should work hard 
We should provide for our families. But we should also recognize the dangers in an affluent society whereby we have this ongoing constant pressure to have more and more and more. And, and there is a hazardous or a dangerous aspect of money. Listen, Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Jesus remember, said th- th- there are some who are like seeds, like when the seeds fall and there's some who, who, who receive the seed in this way, like, 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 like their hearts are like thorns. They hear the word of God, okay? But check this out, the worries of this age, and I love this, the deceitfulness of wealth. And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus talking about the deceitfulness of wealth. What is that? Well, 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 when our culture and when your dollars tell you that you can't live an abundant life without them, this is the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth that you can't have an abundant life without abundant wealth. That's deceitful. Uh, That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, look at this, people who long to be rich. Let me point this out. Not people who are rich or become rich. Being rich is not the problem here. There's no problem with being rich. There's no problem with working hard. In fact, the Bible teaches that if you work hard and steward well, you may very well accumulate enough wealth to be rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. The problem is this desire, right? That's this guy calling out to Jesus in the crowd, Jesus, make sure my brother gives me what I need. If I have what I need, then I can eat, drink, and be merry. And the problem is, here's how Paul says it, they, they have this longing, this desire, this craving. They, they, they fall into this temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's a good translation. All types of different evil, right? Money itself is not evil. But the love of it, the constant pursuit of it, the constant thinking like I can't have enough or get enough. And man, it just leads to all different types of evils because some craving it have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so Jesus says... (laughs) Jesus says, and do now his disciples. Speaks to this man, tells him to beware, tells him that life's not about the abundance of your possessions, gives this parable, and then he says this to his disciples. He says, that's why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food in your body, more than clothing. That is a massive statement to us. Do you know why? a lot of our lives center around food and clothing. Can I just be real? There have been multiple Sundays I have been offended that Chick-fil-A is closed. Because I think about food a lot and I think about good food a lot. And like when you're rolling down the road on a Sunday and you're like, man, that, that Christian chicken would really be amazing or the grilled nuggets and the sauce. And you're like, oh, it's Sunday. Like, Jesus, no, life's more than food. And then he says, life is your body, you're more than clothing. I mean, we think about this a lot, right? Okay, this isn't planned, but let me just, here. <laughs> I just gotta tell you. Like, I just don't think about clothing. Like, I think about how frequently I wear clothes. Like, you know what I do? This has actually happened. I'm just telling on myself here, okay? I am, a, I am an idiot. Here, let me just tell you something. 
There have been multiple Sunday mornings. You know what, I, I mean, for real, multiple Sunday mornings, I'm in my closet and I'm like, did I wear that shirt last week? <laughs> did I wear that two weeks ago? And I know some of you are like, oh, I know what pastor's doing on Sunday morning. He's in his closet at home and he's, he's reciting the Apostles' Creed. No, no, that's not what I'm doing. I'm like, literally, this has happened, okay? This has happened. I have literally gone to our podcast and pulled up our previous services to see what I had on the week before and two weeks before that. Like, I can't wear the same thing I wore last week. That would be weird. People be watching and be like, he just had that on last week. What's wrong with this guy? And so here I am Sunday morning, I'm like, did I wear that? I don't know. Well, I better look it up. And my wife's walking in. I'm like, oh, hi, honey. How you doing? Like, I'm a... We don't, Jesus saying life is about more than food and your body more than clothing. Did Jesus not know how we roll here in the United States? We think a lot about food and clothing. I walked in the day, somebody said, uh, mm, the checker thing, not a thing anymore. Well, thanks for telling me now. And who even makes up these rules about what's in style or out of style? Apparently the one person caught me this morning coming in. So all of y'all with the checkered shirt on today, loser, all right, it's out. I won't be wearing this shirt again next week. Does Jesus not know how we roll? Life is a lot about iPhones, and life is a lot about cars, and life is a lot about homes, and life is a lot about food and good food, and life is a lot about clothing. Like, life's a lot about this stuff, Jesus. Do you not hang out with us? And hear Jesus saying, right? Do you, do, do you, just, do you understand, dear ones, we are his audience. He's talking to us. Those of us who make more money in a year than 97% of the rest of the world, but think we don't have enough. Jesus is saying, beware, your life, I promise you your life, it's more than the abundance of your possessions. Your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. And so here, here's how he wraps it up. All right, last verse. Here's what he says, verses 33 and 34. He says, so sell your possessions and give to those in need, and this will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Ladies, that Kate Spade, it's going to wear out. You keep bringing it to church. <laughs> yes, pastor, but my Louis Vuitton never will. <laughs> oh, Louis will wear out. Just keep bringing them to church. I know it's made of the calf skin of the gods from where, I don't know, but look at what Jesus is saying. Listen, he's just saying, store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Don't be a fool. There is a God and there is a resurrection. There is something worth living for beyond this. There is a meaning and a fulfillment that comes with life that far surpasses any meaning or fulfillment you'll get from having what you think you need. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Now, let me just be very, very emphatic here, okay? 
There is nothing wrong with the fact that this guy in the parable is building bigger barns. There's nothing wrong with being blessed to a point that you need bigger barns. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with living in a society that's among the top 3% in the world. There is nothing wrong with any of that. Can I just tell you, some of the most godly people in the Bible were people who were wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that. that. Jesus isn't attacking wealth. You know what he's attacking? He's attacking our desire to think that we have to have a certain amount to be fulfilled, to have the abundant life. Jesus is attacking those of us who think the abundant life is about having enough goods, but not having God. And here's what Jesus is saying to us today. We need to rethink what it means to be rich because you can be incredibly rich if you are rich toward God, no matter how much is in your 401k. And there was a widow in the New Testament who gave just a little bit, but it was all she had to give. And you know what she proved that day? She was rich toward God. And there have been people throughout the years who have funded, people who funded Paul's missionary work, who had bigger barns and they gave and they tethered their lives to what was coming, not what is now. And they proved to be rich toward God. It's not just about dollars and cents. It's about motivations and passions and our ultimate purpose. And it's making sure that not just in what we have and what we give, but how we live, what we love, what we pursue, that it reflects a life well lived in this, that we're rich toward God, because that's a life that's never lived in vain. And, and so here's my encouragement to you. My encouragement to you today is to rethink what it means to be rich. Because it's not ultimately about an income. It's not ultimately about a retirement account. It's not ultimately about kicking it back one day. No, you know what? Being rich is ultimately about living in such a way that your heart is tethered to Jesus into the eternal destination that he is preparing for you. And when you live that way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as much what happens here because you know that there is secure. And that's my desire for every single one of us. Listen to me, Bell Shoals. Two weeks from now, we're gonna gather in this room on Sunday night, September 18th, and I'm gonna lay out a vision for the next seven years. And listen to me very, very carefully. It's a vision that reflects our unified commitment to be rich toward God and to get the gospel to our neighbors. And therefore, right, therefore, that's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. And so over these next couple of weeks, we're gonna rethink what it means to be rich. And we're gonna rethink what it looks like to live a life of faith and impact. We're gonna rethink what it means to make a difference. And, and, and wherever you are on the income scale, all right, I just want you to see, you're probably in the top 95, 97%. And if you don't feel that way today, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about some practical steps on how to get to a place where you can be free to be rich toward God, not just financially, but relationally with the a, with a direction of your life. This is our purpose here at Bell Shoals. We are blessed to be a blessing and everything we have in this life, we hold loosely because at some point in time, short of the Lord's return, he's gonna take us home and it ain't coming with us. But we want our children to come with us, amen? We want our grandchildren coming with us, amen? 
We want our friends and neighbors coming with us, amen. We want our neighbors to come with us, amen. We want the nations to come with us, amen. We're here to be a blessing. <laughs> How do we do that? <laughs> be rich toward God and make much of him in everything we do. And 